Father, thank you for revealing yourself fully to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Twice, the Apostle Paul says that in Jesus Christ dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead. Thank you for the life and the sacrificial death of Jesus for us. Thank you that though he had all of this power, he chose to willingly surrender himself to walk into that darkness on our behalf. Thank you that you are the healer, the one who can mend lives, the one who can fix relationships, the one who can heal illness, the one who can give freedom from sin. I pray that we would understand that you are the God who will lead us. Lead us in this lifetime and lead us for all of eternity if we would submit ourselves to you, if we would surrender our lives to you. And so this morning, as we have worshiped together, as we look into your word in a few moments, as we celebrate communion, I pray that you will see in us a willingness to surrender ourselves to you, that you will lead on as our eternal king, that you would be our healer, that you would be our protector, that you would be our provider as you have promised. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I uh, I love singing that song, that last song that we just did together, Our God. I, j- I just appreciate the reminders that that song is filled with of who God is and what he can do. And by the way, if I didn't believe that he was all of those things or that he could do all of those things, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> And I, and I hope that you believe and know that he can do all of those things too. That he is our healer, that he is our strength and our guide and our protector. And that's why we submit our lives to him. We, I would have no desire to submit my life to a God who is not able to do those things. That's why we're here. And that's why we're here as a church. That's why we stand together as a community of believers, as a body, to reach out into this town, into this place, into this community, to friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers who are wrestling and struggling with all the hurts and cares of life that, that are common to all of us, that we can walk together in the power that God gives us. If you have been with us for the last few months, or even if you've just been here the last few weeks, then you know that we are making our way through the Gospel of John, and we are rapidly coming to the end of that here. By the end of the month, we'll be done the Gospel of John. But this morning, in this passage that we're going to look at in John chapter 18, we're coming to the end of a very long night for Jesus and his disciples. You know that several weeks ago, Pastor Tim started us off in John chapter 13, and this night started with supper with his disciples. We commonly call it the Last Supper. He sat down with them, 
had dinner with them, and then you know that he showed them an example of servanthood by washing their feet. And had the whole conversation with Peter, and Peter saying, no, Jesus, don't wash our feet. And, and Jesus said, I, I need to do this. I need to show you what I'm about. And he humbled himself and washed their feet. And then he identified Judas as his betrayer. And he talked to Peter about the fact that Peter would deny him. And then we moved on to John chapter 14. And Jesus gave his disciples some hope. He said, guys, look, I'm going away. I am leaving you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again. And I'm going to take you back with me so that you can be with me for all of eternity. He told his disciples that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He not only promised them that hope, but he promised them help as well. He said, when I go, I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, one who will strengthen you and guide you and, and counsel you as you walk through this life. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus explained what it meant to abide in him, this continued relationship that he would have with the disciples, even though he was not going to be physically present with them. And he continued telling them about the Holy Spirit. And then the last two weeks we've spent in John chapter 17, we see this, this incredible prayer, this incredible time of prayer that Jesus has with the Father. And he talks about and explains their relationship, their perfect relationship that they had together. And then he goes on to make a request. If you were here last week, you know we talked about that request. That we, that all of us, would be sanctified. That we would become more and more like Jesus. That God would, would take away all the things in our lives, all of our, our attitudes and our actions and our motivations and our words that are not honoring to Christ, that he would take those away and draw us closer and closer to him. And there was a reason for that. Do you remember those of you that were here last week? There was a reason that God wanted to sanctify us. Do you remember what it was? He sanctified us, or he is sanctifying us, so that he might unify us so that we would come together and show the world his love and show the world that Jesus Christ is the hope for all of mankind. And now we come to the end of this long night in John chapter 18. And here we are. It's the same night as all of this has taken place and things are going to take a very difficult turn for Jesus. He's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, abused, tortured, crucified, and all of that starts right here in this passage in John 18. And we're going to read it, and I want you to see as we read it, and what we're going to talk about this morning, there's three things that stand out to us from this passage. We have a caution, we have an encouragement, and we have a challenge. Look at John 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, that is, his prayer to the Father in, in chapter 17, he went out with his disciples across the book Kid, brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. 
So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is God's word. And we see a caution, an encouragement, and a challenge. First, the caution. Here it is. The caution is this. Do not presume your relationship with Christ. Do not presume your relationship with Christ. Here we have Judas. And if you know anything about the New Testament, if you've spent any time reading it, which I know some of you have, some of you probably haven't, so that's okay, but Judas was one of the original 12 disciples. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. Judas knew a lot about Jesus, and he had spent a lot of time with him. He had heard Judas teach, or Jesus teach. He heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. He had heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus said that, Judas was sitting right there. He heard him speak. Judas heard Jesus explain to Mary and Martha, who had just lost their brother, I am the resurrection and the life. Judas heard all those things because he was there. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He was there when Jesus took pitchers of water and turned them into wine. Judas was there when Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people with one boy's lunch. Judas was there when Jesus stepped up to Lazarus' tomb and through his tears said, Lazarus, come out. And he raised Lazarus back to life. Judas was there. But he did not have a love relationship with Jesus. Even though he knew all of these things, he did not believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't believe that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. Now, this situation, this 
betrayal in the garden that we're reading about here this morning is actually mentioned in Matthew and Mark and Luke as well. In those three writers include a little detail that John doesn't mention and that is that when Judas and the soldiers came into the garden that Judas walked up to Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek. Now that's a little different from our culture today. Tim and I have spent a lot of time together. But when I see him, I usually say, hey. I don't usually walk up to him and give him a kiss on the cheek. But that was very common in this culture. Very common. And it was a sign of deep affection and friendship and loyalty. And Judas used it as a prearranged signal of betrayal. There was probably a lot of times in three years when Judas had greeted Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. And every time he did it, it was a lie. It was a lie. James, in his book, later in the New Testament, said, Even demons believe that God exists, but they have no faith. This is the caution for us, folks, when we read this passage. Do not presume your relationship with Christ. Not all who claim salvation are truly saved. In fact, you can be in church every week. You can put money in the offering every week. You can even serve on a team. And not truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is about your heart before God. This is not about what anything looks like. If anybody had seen Jesus and seen all his disciples, they would have looked at Judas and said, man, that guy is who we should all be. Man, he's serving. He's not only part of the group, but he's the treasurer. He spends extra time taking care of the finances for the group. He is on it. But he did not have a relationship with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Paul, Paul says it this way. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? possible to walk through life and go through the motions and not truly have a relationship with Christ. That is a caution to us. Now my purpose this morning is not to cause you to doubt your salvation. My caution to you this morning is to not presume it. And to not walk through life thinking that just because you're doing some of the right things or saying some of the right things that you are a Christ follower. This is about your heart before God. That's the caution. But now I want you to see that there is an incredible encouragement in this passage as well. The encouragement is this. Jesus' love for you is unmatched. There are so many things in this passage. We could spend an hour 
talking about all the things in this passage that show us the love that Jesus has for us and his commitment to his purpose. First of all, I don't know if you noticed it when I was reading the passage a few minutes ago, but in verses 1 and 2 we read that Jesus went to a place that he had frequented with his disciples. It said he, he often went there with his disciples. Now, I'll tell you why I think that's significant. I hope I'm not stretching this too much, but I think it's significant because right after that it says this. It says, Judas knew the place. You know what Jesus was not doing? He was not hiding. He was not hiding. He went to a place that he knew Judas was familiar with, and he knew that Judas would look for him there. I thought of something else while I was thinking about this. This is, the, this is the end of a very long night. It's also the end of a very long week that we started talking about way back before Easter. Over a month ago. And if you remember, the first day of that week... Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem in the midst of all of the Passover festivities that were going on there. He rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey. And do you remember what everyone's reaction was? Does anybody remember? What was the reaction to Jesus riding in on that young donkey? Anybody know? Yeah. They praised him. They worshipped him. It says crowds of people came and said, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And they were waving palm branches and they were laying their robes in the streets for Jesus to walk on. And they were acknowledging and there was this huge crowd that was saying, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I think it's significant in this moment when he knew that he was going to be betrayed, when he knew he was going to be arrested, that Jesus did not grab the disciples and come down the stairs out of that upper room where they were having dinner and this whole long conversation and then go to the garden so that he could pray. He didn't get up from there and walk down onto Main Street, Jerusalem. I think that's significant. Because if he had of... And then Judas had come along with a band of soldiers. By the way, band is a, it's kind of a vague term, but it means uh, part of a regiment. It could have been anywhere from 50 to 100 soldiers that Judas had. And it says they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. So it would have been quite a scene. And you can imagine if Jesus had led the disciples down Main Street and Judas had come with all the disciples or all of the soldiers, rather, and stepped out to arrest Jesus, what do you think would have happened? Remembering that this is Passover week, and, and the streets are filled with people. They would have risen up. There would have been a mob. There would have been a riot. You're not taking our Messiah. Jesus wanted to avoid that. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. That was not his purpose. He didn't want people to rise up and defend him. So he went to this quiet garden, this out-of-the-way place that he knew Judas would know to surrender himself. I want to reread for you verse 4 because I think it's so significant. Then Jesus, listen to this, knowing all that would happen to him, 
came forward and said to them, whom do you speak? Or whom do you seek, rather? Knowing all that would happen to him. Jesus had no illusions about how this was going to go. In fact, some of you may be familiar with a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, that prophesies everything that Jesus would go through. Jesus knew that passage. He knew that he would be despised and rejected and crushed and afflicted. He knew that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be mocked, that he was going to be crucified. And knowing all of this, it says, he came forward anyway. I'm trying to think about what my reaction would be if I was somewhere with all of my friends and 50 or 100 armed soldiers came to where we were and said, we're here to arrest Mike. I don't know what my reaction would be. It would probably not be to step forward. It would probably be to uh, try to melt back into the background a little bit, melt back into the shadows. But it says Jesus stepped forward. He didn't try to hide, he didn't try to slip away, didn't try to cause a distraction. He said, I'm he. I'm the one. I'm the one that you're looking for. And we see there in verse 6, I think this is so interesting, that just his words caused them to fall to the ground. Just his words. Now, some people that want to dispute what happened in there, and I read a little bit about this this week as I was kind of researching and studying and reading a bunch of stuff about this passage. There are some who read this passage and say, well, it's because Jesus surprised them. You know, he came forward when they asked who Jesus was, and that kind of jumped them. And so it was kind of like soldier dominoes. You know, the first guy jumped back and he bumped into the next guy and he bumped into the next guy. You know what I mean? You've seen it on a comedy, right? When you get a big crowd of people and somebody comes and they all... Okay, well, I've seen it on a movie before. It's really funny. And that's what some people would have you believe. Oh, he, he surprised them. And so they all, you know, they knocked each other down. I mean, come on, folks. Let's think about this a little bit. What does it say? Judas came to them with a band of soldiers. Listen, guys, these, these people were ready for resistance. They had lanterns and torches and weapons. They weren't afraid of one guy. They were ready to do whatever it took. But just the power of his words knocked them to the ground. This is the power that Jesus had. This is the power that Jesus has even now. He asks them again who they're looking for, and he willingly goes with them. If we were to continue to read the passage, we would see that he willingly goes with them. Of course, Peter had other ideas. And so being the expert swordsman that he was, drew his sword and whipped the servant's ear off. To leave no mistake that he wasn't going to let anyone take Jesus. <laughs> High marks for enthusiasm, low marks for skill, but still, we like the passion. Peter, 
Put your sword away. Put your sword away. Implied in that statement is, look, if I did not want to be arrested here tonight, I could make that happen. This is not what this is about. Again, Luke, who also writes about this passage, includes a detail that John doesn't. <laughs> he says that even in this moment, immediately preceding the torture and the abuse and the imminent death that Jesus is about to face by surrendering himself, once again, not thinking of himself and all that is going to take place, bends down, picks up the servant's ear off the ground, and heals him. I'm the one, let these guys go. Jesus did this, verse 9 says, to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those you have given me, I have not lost one. Friends, listen to me. The Lord Jesus will not allow us to lose our faith. If you have sincerely trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will not let you go. He will not. Certainly we are all vulnerable without His protection but true Christ followers are never without his protection. And all of Jesus' actions in this moment prove his love for us. He could have done anything that he wanted. They couldn't force him. He willingly surrendered himself knowing what was coming. Why would he do that? Only one reason. Because Jesus loves you with a love that is unmatched. He lived his life for your sake. He died on the cross for your sake. He rose from the grave for your sake. And he lives right now, the scripture says, interceding for you, praying for you, at the right hand of God for your sake. Do not ever doubt Jesus' love for you. He proved it right here. Romans 5, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' love for you is unmatched. I hope that's encouraging. But there's also a challenge here for us. And I think it's this. The challenge is to sacrifice all to step into the darkness. For those of us who are Christ followers, reading this passage is incredible that he could love us this much. I've read this passage many times in my life, 
But over the past month, as I've read it and reread it and reread it, it just stuns me at the sacrifice that Jesus makes for us and his willingness. So as we consider this great sacrifice, I ask this question. What is God asking us to do? What is God asking us to do? I believe that he is asking us to step forward just like he did. You know, when the soldiers said, we're looking for Jesus, and he stepped forward into great sacrifice. Jesus didn't shrink from the task at hand, despite knowing everything that would happen to him. And friends, I think we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, that is, Jesus' own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We just sang that song earlier today. He has called us into this marvelous light. He chose us for this. He saved us for this. He called us out of darkness. And do you know what? Just like we talked about at the end of the service last week, do you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to call more people out of the darkness. He wants to call more people to himself. And he wants to use us to do it. But it's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost a lot of energy. It's going to cost a lot of time. It's going to cost a lot of money. Sometimes it may cost some time away from the things that you want to do. It may cost us letting go of some of our personal hopes and dreams and ambitions even. How about you? Will you step forward like Jesus did? That's the challenge. What sacrifice are you willing to make so that others might be called out of the darkness and into the light? You know, here's what happens, you know. He called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2. And that's what we sang. And we believe that. And we believe he wants to call people out of the darkness as well. But you know what has to happen sometimes? For some of those people to come out of darkness, you know what has to happen sometimes? Sometimes we have to step back into the darkness and reach for that person. That's what Jesus did. He didn't step forward into wonderful things. He stepped forward into the worst difficulty of his life. Why? So that he could pull us into that marvelous light. And I think sometimes God is calling us to sacrifice that we might step into that darkness and pull people out. That's what he's asking. And this sacrifice is what we're celebrating when we come to the Lord's table for communion. That's what we're celebrating together. 
We're giving thanks for his sacrifice. We're giving thanks that he stepped forward and laid his life down. And we're looking ahead to the hope that we have of heaven. And by the way, folks, this is why we can sacrifice here because of what is to come later. That's why we can sacrifice. I know that sacrificing is hard. I know that it's incredibly difficult to give up our time, to give up some of our money, to give up some of our energy, to give up some of our hopes and dreams. I know that's tough. But do you know why we can do it? Do you know why I do it? And many people here do it? Because I know that all of this that I have here anyway, all of my time and energy and money and all of my hopes and dreams, I know that they're all going to go away anyway. And I know that, again, as Peter says only this time in 1 Peter 1, there is something reserved for me in heaven that is far greater than anything that I have to give up here on earth. So I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to make the sacrifice. And Jesus did the same thing. He said, I'll give up this life on earth because I know what's coming next in heaven. And that's what he did for you and me. So we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. And as we do that, I'm going to ask the guys if they would come. They're going to make their way down to the front here. And uh, we're going to pray. The band is going to play some music for us. As they do that, if you're a Christ follower, I'd encourage you to take, first of all, the bread as they pass it around, give thanks for Christ's sacrifice, and then go ahead and eat that. If you are not a Christ follower, if you're not comfortable to, to take communion this morning, that's okay. We certainly don't want to force anyone to do that, so just pass it along to the next person, and that will be fine. After that, the guys are going to come and they're going to pass the cup around. And when that gets here, do the same. Thank Jesus again for his sacrifice and ask him what he's asking you to do. And then go ahead and drink that cup. At any time after you're finished, if you want to join the band as they sing and lead us in these songs, you go ahead and after that I'll get back up and close the service. So guys, if you want to come, please, and we're going to pray. And give thanks for Christ's sacrifice. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. As we celebrate this communion this morning, I pray that our hearts and minds will be firmly focused on all that he has done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Are you willing to sacrifice in order to step into the darkness like Jesus did? 1 John 3 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, do not love, or let us not love, in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Don't presume your relationship with Christ, but be encouraged that his love for you is unmatched. And he is calling us as a community of believers to sacrifice, to step into the darkness and call people to his light. That's why we're here, friends. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have had together. And, and I pray that it will have served to help 
recalibrate our hearts and minds like we often need to refocus ourselves on you, on Jesus Christ and what he has done. And I just pray this morning that you will encourage our hearts by your great love for us and that we will be willing to sacrifice as Jesus did, that we might be his so that others might know him. Go with us now. Help us to be the light in this place, in this community, and we will trust you for the strength and the energy and the endurance that is needed to do it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. I hope you have a great week.